Welcome our visitors. I add my word of appreciation that you're here and we hope that you'll return. Uh, We're thankful of your interest and concern in the things of God and we invite you to get a Bible along with everyone else. And and, uh, if you have questions of what is said or done, we uh, solicit those, we request those from you. Uh, We'd be happy to study God's Word more with you. We'd like to encourage you to follow God in your life. Make no bones about that. We want to encourage you to do God's will in your life. Uh, We believe God's revealed that in the Bible. That we can understand it as Brother Steve uh, directed our attention to John 6. But like that says, we have to have a a will to do His will. John 7.17 We have to have the patience to to learn uh, God's will and then to do God's will in our life. To see the advantages of doing God's will over our own. So uh, that is true for every one of us. And hope that today will be an opportunity for each of us to re- recenter, refocus ourselves with uh, with that primary goal, and that's really what we want to talk about this morning: is uh, our goals. We we set goals. Setting goals is a good thing. Um, there are educational goals: uh, a goal to graduate high school, or to graduate college, or get a certain degree, or uh, career goals. Uh, are set. Uh, uh, marriage brings its own set of goals. We're in an apartment. Our goal is to get a house, or or uh, our goal is to have children, or this or that. All sort of different goals uh, that that we set. There are financial goals. Uh, working to provide for our families, uh, to uh, prepare for retirement. Um, there are, above all else, spiritual goals that we need to be setting. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We need to lay up treasure in heaven, Jesus said. In Colossians 3 and verse 2, it says, uh, to, to set our mind on things above, not on things that are upon the earth. So to set our mind, to set our goal, uh, is, is at the heart of what we want to study from, from the Word of God this morning. You see, a goal is, uh, that we're discussing is the purpose toward which we endeavor. Uh, it's we we set that goal and we aim for that and we all of our endeavor all of our energy is directed toward that. Uh, that's the objective that we've set before us that we want to achieve that we want to get to that uh, that uh, that goal that object before us. Uh, again, whether it's uh, all these different goals of this world, but especially and importantly, most importantly are the spiritual goals in Christ Jesus and the goal of eternal life in heaven. You know, most everybody still believes in heaven. Everybody wants to go there that believes in it. But how you get there is, is the crucial point. Is, is we've got to have the goal and we've got to, to have that objective in a way that then brings us successfully to the outcome. Uh, you know that if you're a business person. You know that educationally. We know that financially. We ought to know that spiritually. That that we need to set spiritual goals and give ourselves to accomplishing them. I want us to focus on a particular word. It's in our reading this morning. We'll get to that momentarily. But it's the word that is uh, translated at times uh, result or end or purpose, it is to set out for a definite point or a goal. It's the conclusion sometimes of an act or a state. 
So we have a conclusion in mind. We have an aim. We have a goal. We have a purpose. We have an outcome. And, and that telos, that result, is what we're directing ourselves toward. Get some examples of this word in the New Testament. In Romans 10 and verse 4, it says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness um, for those of faith. So Christ was the purpose. He was the aim. He was the goal of the law. In Romans 6, 21 and 22, it says that the end, the purpose, the outcome of sin is death. But that the outcome of a life of freedom from sin, of righteousness before God, is holiness and eternal life. So, so whether sin or holiness, there's an outcome. We choose to live with sin the outcome's death. That's the goal we're striving for. If we're choosing to practice sin in our lives, whether we realize it or not, our goal is going to be death. And if, if we want righteousness and eternal life to be our goal, that eternal life as the outcome, then we've got to commit ourselves to holiness, holy living now. And the outcome of that will be everlasting life. In Hebrews 3, in verse 6, the word is used, uh, to talk about the holding fast to our confession or our confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. So now we have a termination, we have an end goal, we have a purpose out there, and we are to hold fast the confidence of our hope and the rejoicing of our hope. We're to maintain diligent faithfulness because. There's an end in sight. What that's going to produce is the realization of that hope of eternal life. So, what kind of, what kind of goal do you have in your life, spiritually? And how are you trying to reach it? What, what, what is the objective of your life? Now, we can look at that in a very broad, macro sort of a way, a very general way. But then we got to get it. We got to focus it on down to the specific goals that help us accomplish that. We can say, "Well, heaven's my goal," but it'd be so undefined that we really don't know how to achieve that, how to accomplish that. So we want to we want to try to help bring some focus this morning to ourselves, to our own goal of heaven, uh, and uh, and achieving it, having that purpose or that end result uh, being accomplished in our lives. Now, as we begin to think about that, obviously God's purposes need to become our goals, need to become our purposes. So whatever God reveals as His good thing, His will, then we want that to become ours. You see, in... uh, Hebrews, the 13th chapter, the writer talked about uh, a prayer to make you complete in every good work to do His will. Well, if we're going to do His will and work what is well-pleasing in His sight, then His purposes, His objectives, His goals must become ours. Let me illustrate how that plays out practically. Think about with Joseph, about Joseph with me for a moment. Remember the story of Joseph and his brothers. They they hated him. They envied him. They, some wanted to kill him, but they eventually sold him into slavery into Egypt. And and Genesis 
37 through 50 discusses, tells us all that, that transpired. And, and after the death of Israel, of Jacob, the brothers were fearful that now maybe Joseph was going to exact retribution against them. And in verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil toward me or against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You see, God's purpose is about good things. God meant it for good. Men's goals and objectives are not always good. We live in a world that is not good. And people around us uh, are, are, do not always have good goals. But for Christians, what we need to do is to develop and shape and mold the aims of our existence here on earth, of the time that we have, to produce the good things of God. And Joseph lived by faith through all of that. And he demonstrates to us a character of faith in spite of being sinned against, in spite of being mistreated. Uh, God was with him. God blessed him. And God had a bigger plan than just blessing Joseph. You see, when you're faithful to God and that's your goal, understand that God's intent is not just to bless you. There are others in your life that are being blessed as well. And so it's not about us, it's about others. God's purpose, God's aim are good things. And even in, in moments of trial and suffering, Job illustrates that for us, as Joseph did. But look at Job in, John, in James 5 and verse 11. James says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the, in the end intended by the Lord. The word end is what I want you to focus on with me. Because it's that word we talked about a minute ago. Telos. The purpose. The outcome. The aim. The goal. The objective that was seen by the Lord was not to hurt Job, harm Job, punish Job. That wasn't going on. No. It was that in his perseverance he would be the recipient of God's compassion and mercy. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. There was an outcome. There was something that Job needed to learn through that process. And he received God's compassion and mercy. You see, we need to learn to define the moments of our lives in the bigger picture of God's purposes. Rather than we uh, get this, this telescoped view of ourselves, and everything's about me and everything's working against me and I forget to see God and His purposes. Because our aim is not us. Our aim is God. Our aim is His purpose. Our aim is to, is to so develop within our hearts uh, the, the will of God that, that we then or living a life that will meet those objectives and bring us to the end, bring us to the culmination, bring us to the objective of everlasting life. Again, that, that dovetails very well into what Steve 
commented on in John second, uh, the sixth chapter today, because there were some that just didn't set that goal, and so they wouldn't learn, and they turned away when it was too difficult for them to take time to know His will and commit themselves to do His will. Well, you see, here's the thing about the purposes of God. He turns evil, the evil goals of men, and He uses them for godly purposes. He, used, uh, he uses the, the evil around us. I mean, he, he, uses, he uses the objectives of Satan to accomplish His will. Satan's objective was to kill Jesus. God says, you think you're going to destroy my son? You think you're going to devise a plan that's going to overwhelm me? Psalm 2. No, the, the nations, they, they devise a, a, a vain thing. God accomplishes His purposes in the midst of man's evil. In Acts 3, the third chapter, verses 13 through 15, this is the preaching of the early apostle of the apostles, the early preaching of the apostles. They said, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let him go, you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer be granted you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. God glorified Jesus, so you defiled, you despised Him, you killed Him, you murdered Him. God took the evil purposes of men to accomplish great and godly purposes. Now, you think He can do that with your life? You think He can take your life when you're committed to His goals and bring about good? I think He can. I think He can. You see, the apostles endured great personal suffering. Great personal sufferings. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-15. But, but Paul said in all of that, uh, that that it was the purposes of God that were being accomplished for the sake of others. He said we have this treasure of God's Word in earthen vessels. God's Word was in the apostles. They were the earthen vessels. God had revealed it to them, given it to them to preach to the world that the excellence of the power might be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed. Look at their life. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who are alive are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul said we're under threat of death and we're being killed. And yet it is all to the glory of God, to, the, to, to, to honor Jesus. So that death is working in us, but life in you. He said, while we're facing suffering, there's a benefit in all of this, and it abounds to your benefit. Because you, from us, you're getting the Gospel. From us, you're obtaining salvation and the hope of eternal life. So, so if God's purposes are good, and that even though in this life we have suffering, but there's a greater good, then we need to commit ourselves to the greater good and endure. You see, like Job did. Be faithful like Joseph was. Trusting that God's purposes 
works together for good to those who love the Lord, even to those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. Says we are more than conquerors. If God is for us, who can be against us? He said, "If God, he says, we are more than conquerors through God who loved, through Him who loved us." We've got to make God's purposes the outcome of His will, our goal, our objective, so that that when all is said and done in our life, what results, what the end of the matter is. Everlasting life. Romans 6 and 22. So, let's talk then about that a little bit more specifically. Let's go. It's, uh, I appreciate Mike asking me before the service, said, is this the right Scripture reading? Where are you, Mike? There you are. I said, yes. He said, well, I can't quite see how that fits into the lesson. I said, look at verse 5. So I want everybody to look at verse 5 because you might have been thinking the same thing. How does that fit in what you're talking about? 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5. It says, Now the purpose of the commandment. That word purpose is the word telos. It's the word that means to set out as a definite point or goal. The conclusion of an act. The result that is effected. The end of the commandment. The purpose of the commandment. Why has God given us a commandment? Why are we under commandment? That's an important question. And you see some were teaching other doctrines. And so Timothy was instructed to stay in Ephesus and to charge them not to do that because what we need is the godly edification which is in faith. According to the gospel, the glorious gospel, verse eleven. So, so if in that context he said, "Here's what the commandment is about," but hang on, before we do that, let's find out what the commandment's not about, because there's distortions that the devil wants us to think wrongly about the commandments of God. He does. He doesn't want you to understand why God has commanded us. One reason He has not commanded us is to enslave us. The commandment, the goal, the purpose of God's command is not to enslave you. It is not to oppress you. It is not to put you out. Just the opposite. It is to free you from sin's bondage. It is to to develop within you and manifest in your life a trust in God to obtain the blessings promised to the faithful. Jesus said in John 8 and 31, if you abide, and He said this to the Jews who had believed on Him, if you abide in My Word, then are you truly My disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus is offering freedom. Not enslavement. Not a burden. But freedom. He says it's found in abiding in My Word. The implication pointed, when you abide in His Word, you're going to be obeying His commandment. You can't abide in His Word and be disobedient to the Word. But He says there's freedom there. Now, they answered and said, well, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Well, 
Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. I'm talking about sin here, He said. And, and, and that, that when you let sin rule over you, you're its slave. But if you want to be free from that bondage, then you need to abide in My Word. You need to be My disciple. The slave doesn't abide in the house forever. The son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. How does he say the son makes you free? By abiding in his word. Knowing his truth. You know his truth, you abide in his word. That's following his word. And again, John 6 said, there's some who said, we can't abide that any longer. We're not going to abide in your word. And they turned away. They were the ones in bondage. They were enslaved in sin. God's not commanding you to try to impose upon you, try to, to, to overwhelm you, try to burden you, to try to, to, to make you a slave in some oppressive way. He wants you to be a slave of righteousness, granted, Romans 6. He wants you to serve righteousness. But He said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He hadn't commanded us to impress us. God's commandment does not have the goal of self-righteousness either. The, the, uh, the aim and goal of keeping the commandments of God is not so that we can look at other people and say, well, boy, I sure am glad I'm not like them. That is not why God has commanded us in any respect. In Luke, the 18th chapter, He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. God hadn't commanded us so that we could trust in ourselves. That, well, if I just, you know, I've done this, this, and this, and so, you know, God pretty much, you know, He, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good, I'm a pretty good Christian now. Well, be careful, self-righteousness will cause us to be lost. He says, don't trust in yourselves that they were righteous and despised others. There's a, you know, the idea of self-righteousness is, I'm elevating myself at the same time I'm looking down on you. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He said, God, I thank, I thank You. Oh, I'm thankful, God. I'm a thankful man. I thank You that I'm not like the rest of men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Oh, God, I'm, I'm so thankful that I haven't stolen anything from anybody. I, I'm especially thankful I'm not like that that rabble-rousing group of tax collectors over there. Those people out there in the world today that defy authority, that take for themselves, I'm glad I'm not like them. I hope we don't pray that prayer. I fast twice in the week. God, I, I give tithes of all that I get. But you see, by elevating himself and despising others, he didn't go to his home justified. Verse 14 says, tax collector, on the other hand, standing far off, would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He acknowledges God and he says, I need your mercy because I'm a sinner. And he was justified because he humbled himself. Well, they both went to the temple there to pray. So they're obeying a commandment, but one of them did it entirely wrong. See, God didn't command us so that, that we can have this have an inflated ego about ourselves. Or so we can be self-righteous in our treatment of others. No. 
Not at all. But show the mercy of God. Thirdly, God didn't command us so that we could be careful to have outward compliance and yet not have inward commitment. I want to be careful how I say this. God expects us to obey Him in our lives. He expects our obedience to come from the heart. And this is the point. God didn't command us just as long as we sip the cup and eat the bread that that's the end of the matter. No. Where is our heart this morning when I ate the bread and drank the cup? Now, you see, I need to eat the bread because God's commanded it. I need to take the cup, but I need to do it the way He said too. I need to do it with a heart remembering the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. It's not just about going through an outward checklist, if you please, an outward compliance. Because God commanded it, I'll do it. But it's about, why are you doing it? Why? There's the heart. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, perhaps enlightens this point for us. Philippians 2 and 12 said, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, okay, it's important to obey. It's essential to obey. We must outwardly, if you please, with our bodies, comply to God's will. That's what obedience is. But but acceptable obedience is from the heart. Because I can go through motions and my heart be far removed from God. Matthew 15, 7, 8, and 9. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. For in vain do they worship me, teaching as commandments the doctrines of men. So there was a heart far removed from God as a man went to the temple to pray. Luke 18. So when we come here and we assemble to worship, let's be sure our heart is near to God because, you see, if our heart's far from God, then all we've done is warm a pew for a little while. But look at verse 13. Let's continue that verse now. As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's individual responsibility of bringing your salvation to a full accomplishment, to a complete conclusion, to the aim, to the goal. Now when you do that with fear and trembling, when we obey with fear and trembling, He says, "For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God's accomplishing His pleasure when you obey with fear and trembling. But you see, when you obey with fear and trembling, haven't you made His purposes yours? Haven't you made His good pleasure your good pleasure? So it's not a burden to obey God. It's an expectation. It's an opportunity. It's a desire. Because that's our aim. That's our goal is to accomplish God's pleasure to please Him. So there's some things that... The commandment is not for, but I want you to see the singular thing that the commandment is for, as Paul says in this passage, and that's love. He said in that passage that the purpose of the commandment is love. Now he's going to elaborate upon that and and accomplishing that singular end, that aim, that goal of the commandment. But, But he says the purpose of the commandment is love. From what? Well, okay, he says love from a pure heart. Now, 
Love is an active response to, to what is right and good for God in this context. And, and of course, loving our neighbor as ourself. Loving God, loving our neighbor. It's active goodwill. It's act, uh, and, and, and obedience is activity. From a pure heart. Here's the heart of fear and trembling in Philippians 2.12. Here's a heart that is cleansed. Purify your... It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, in James 4.8. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Think about that a minute. How do we purify our hearts? Well, be sure we have a single mind in that text. Not double-minded. Not, not partly with God and partly with the purposes and objectives of the world. And that's his context, his broader context in James 4. No, a heart that is, that is singularly Devoted, a mind that is, is pure and devoted to God. Chapter 1 talks about that, and a faith that is not double minded because there's instability there. You see, if my goal is half hearted, then really I, I have no goal at all. If my goal, my goal must be to keep God's commandment with a pure heart because I want to love. I want to love God. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And so I keep his commandments. He says, do it with a pure heart. John 14 and 21 elaborates that as well. So, so if our if we're going to make God's purposes ours, so that his objectives and the end of our life, the goal, the purpose of our life is are his purposes, then we've got to keep the commandment of God. From a pure heart, because the command God's commanded us because He loves, because He wants us to love Him, because He loves us, and His goal is our love for Him and for those around us. He says the purpose of the commandment is love out of a, or from a good conscience, love from a good conscience. Paul, I don't have it on the chart, but in Acts twenty-four and sixteen to to Felix, Paul said. This being so, I myself always strive. I always strive to have a good conscience without offense toward God and men. You know, I know some folks who say, well, I don't really care what people think. That's not God's purposes. That's not God's goal. If we really, if we say, well, I don't care what man thinks, I'm going to do what I want. Now, if we mean instead to say, well, I don't care what man thinks, I'm going to do God's will first, then clearly that's, that's correct. We must obey God rather than men. But to say, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me whatever, uh, you know, what men may say or think, I, I, you know, I'm going to just do what I want in the matter. And of course, I mean, I'm talking in the context of doing what's right. But see, Paul said, I try to keep a good conscience always to cause no offense. There were things, there were times when Paul could have done things that were right that he didn't do them. 1 Corinthians 9 says, you know that? There were things that, that were good and right, but sometimes he chose not to do them because he didn't want to be a stumbling block in the right thing, even. So, to keep a good conscience, we have to consider the other person. Now, I think that's the broader... Lesson of 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, when he said, If if meat causes my brother to stumble, I'll not eat meat forever. 
He's going to keep a good conscience. He wasn't going to defile his conscience in leading somebody else in defiling their conscience. But look at 1 Timothy 1 now, verses 18 and 19, because you see Paul there brings it back now also to the point of the doctrine of Christ. 1 Timothy 1.18, he said, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. So he said, as you fight this good warfare... For the, the, uh, by using the prophecies that have been given, he says, do that with faith and a good conscience. A good conscience. A wholesome conscience. A moral, the moral compass of truth toward God and toward men. Toward God and toward men. So God has commanded us so that when we obey His commandments, we are aware of our conscience in the matter. And that we keep a good conscience as we are obeying Him with the goal of loving Him in mind. Thirdly, he said, the goal of the commandment is, the purpose of the commandment is love from, from sincere faith. We hear people sometimes talk about these days about authenticity. Be authentic. Well, he's saying here, have an authentic faith, a genuine faith. Second uh, Timothy one five it resided in his mother and his grandmother, and Paul was convinced it was in Timothy as well. The genuineness of faith is a genuine is a faith that endures present trials because the outcome is salvation. First Peter one verse seven says that the genuineness of your faith, genuineness, the sincere, genuine, authentic faith being more precious than gold that perishes, it is more valuable than gold. You, you can, I, want, I want you to, to measure to the last cent how much money you possess and genuine faith far exceeds that value. The genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes. That money perishes. He says, though it's tested, he's talking here about gold, it's tested by fire. It's purified by fire, but, but gold's not going to last forever. But the benefit of our faith will may be found in, to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, you'll receive the end of your faith, verse 9, the salvation of your souls. Genuine faith, sincere faith, brethren. Unfeigned. Don't pretend faith. Don't pretend it on Sundays and, and, and live unfaithfully the rest of the time at home or at work or at school. A genuine faith. God has commanded us so that we show love for Him and we live a love for Him and a love for others by demonstrating a genuine faith and that obedience. You see... To receive the end of our faith, as we just read. The end of our faith, the goal is, is eternity. So that every choice, every relation of life, every thought, every word, every deed is to be regulated by this primary goal. The primary goal of eternal life. 
Look at Romans 6. We mentioned it earlier, but let's go and read that as we begin to bring some of these thoughts to a conclusion this morning. In Romans 6 and 19, it says, I speak in, uh, in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more unlawlessness. He's talking to them, there was a time in your life, Christian, when you served sin. You were in bondage to sin. You needed the freedom Jesus offers. But He says now, by the way, verse 17, because now, though you were the servants of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Be obedient. Be obedient from your heart to the doctrine delivered so that now you present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now what do you say? Verse 21 The end of sin is death. The purpose, the goal, the objective, what the outcome of sin is death. That's that word again, verse 21. But verse 22, now having been set free from sin, and having, when? When you obey from the heart the gospel, verse 17. He says, now having become slaves of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end, the purpose, the goal. Eternal life. Is eternal life your goal? Then you need to become a servant of righteousness. You need to obey the Gospel from the heart today. You need to become a Christian. You need to be buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Verses 3 and 4 of Romans 6. And then you need to bear the fruit of holiness because the aim from this day forward will be eternal life. That's going to require self-discipline. Going to have to, 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 you know, the man who runs the race has set a goal to achieve the prize. There's a prize set before us. We have to run the race. We have to buffet ourselves. We have to bring ourselves into submission to the will of God. You know how we do that? We've got to remove every obstacle. Every obstacle that stands in the way. Philippians 3, 7-8. There are obstacles in our way to keep us from attaining our goal. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're too wed, wedded to other goals that conflict. But he says, the things that were gained to me, I've counted loss for Christ. There comes a moment where we have to choose what's more important to us. Something here or something eternal. He says, I, I indeed I've counted all things to be lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of whom I suffer the loss of all things and count them but refuse, rubbish, that I may gain Christ. There comes a moment where we have to decide, do I want to gain Christ in eternal life by keeping the commandments of God in, uh, with genuine, a genuine heart, a good conscience, Sincere faith. Do I want to do that? Is that what I if I do I've got to set my mind. I've got to set my mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Colossians three, two and three. Why? He says, Because you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Can't we can't just say I'm gonna I, I want to go to heaven without a life that is consistent with that 
objective. Because if I don't live consistent to that objective, I'm going to get another outcome. The other outcome is wrath. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the Gospel shall suffer punishment, even eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. What is your goal? If heaven is your goal, then understand God has commanded you as He has the whole world. But God's commandment is, the purpose of that is love. From a pure heart. From a good conscience. And from sincere faith. God's purposes have to be our goal. This is the end of the matter. Everything's been heard. Ecclesiastes talks about life here on earth and all of its goals and all of, its, all of their futilities. He says this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole of man. This is what being human is all about. And so we make it our aim, our aspiration, our goal. Whether at home or absent, He said, is to be well-pleasing unto Him. To please God. To love God. To obey God. From a pure heart. From a good conscience. Sincere faith. That begins by becoming a Christian and we urge you to do that today. Right now, you have the opportunity to love God. By obeying Jesus. He wants to save you. And so He calls you to leave the oppression of sin, to become a servant of righteousness, and to set as the aim and goal of your life from this day forward, eternal life. If you're a Christian and you know that hasn't been the aim of your life, you've let other things intrude. Mark 4, verse 19. Uh, the, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the, the desire for other things. They come in and they crowd out the Word and it doesn't bear fruit. But God can clear away that, that, those, those entanglements. He can remove those things if you'll repent, if you'll return to the Lord, if you'll confess your sin to Him as a Christian, you'll forgive. He will restore you in His mercy. And you'll have opportunity now to live the goal that's set before you of eternal life. We can help you accomplish that once you come. Right now while we stand and sing.